Hello and welcome to You Don't Own Lit. <laughs> no, you don't own not lit. our best start. <laughs> uh, what are we doing? Uh, Climate. That's a very, very good question. <laughs> what are we doing? Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argeris and this week I'm looking for the best book about climate change, whatever that is, to help me <laughs> are two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Hi, Nick. My name is Joe Holshue. I'm a high school English teacher. I brought a totally real book about totally real climate change called How the World Really Works. It, he doesn't emphasize like the, t- like the really in the title, but I think you're kind of supposed to when you read it. How the World Really Works by, oh. a, name, by a guy named Vaclav Smeal. Is it in quotes, wow. air quotes? No, it's, it, he doesn't do it at all, but like when you read the book, it's like, oh no, this is how the world really works oh right really it's like it's like we tell our students you shouldn't have to in your writing you shouldn't have to resort to typographical emphasis so underlining (laughs) italicizing bolding like you shouldn't have to do that right you should use your word choice Mm -hmm. to articulate this word matters and including the word really says other folks have told you how the world is supposed to work but i'm telling you the the straight dope do people say that anymore and this That's is just what, another divide between Ian and I, because I oh, rely entirely on typographical manipulation right. to get my point across. Right. I, I oh. encourage the use of M dashes and italics heavily. Never bold. What are your uh, what are your policies on uh, text uh, emojis for texting? My, uh, usually not an academic writing, but in an email, I think they're great. In an email, a professional email. Well, I mean, to a teacher, it's fine. <laughs> or a student, <laughs> yeah. Like, like if I want to, if I want to communicate to a student that I'm approachable, um, or that oh. I still like them, even though they cheated on something, and I right. have to report them to the the, the principal. <laughs> you are going to jail, but here's I'll a winky say, face. Emoji. You are going to jail. Smiley face. <laughs> Smiley face. Yeah. Morning, Nick. Good afternoon, Joe. Is it hot in here to you, litheads? This week, my name is the Hot Doc. A.K.A. <laughs> Dr. Sizzler. I hate A.K.A. This. Ian DeYoung. I'm a very sweaty high school English teacher. I'm not ready for today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> I've read a book called The Heat Will Kill You First. Oh, my God. <laughs> Winky face. <laughs> <laughs> May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, 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 <laughs> Now, which, uh, so the theme is climate change. Which one of you brought, is one of you pro, one of you con? Like, is is one of these. I'm arguing that it's a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) He will kill you first and that'll distract you from the dysfunction in our government. You know, I will say that in Wisconsin these last three years now, um, this is not scientific. This is just my observation. I feel like our winters have been a little bit milder. Our summers have been a little bit cooler and vitally, beautifully, we've had so few mosquitoes these last few years. Interesting. actually kind of concerning it's like wow it's super nice that there's no mosquitoes but it also really worries me that there's no mosquitoes my book talks about mosquitoes it does i have an anecdote i was uh i was you know let's let's go around the horn and talk about our our weather anecdotes yeah climate change anecdotes let's talk about the weather i was in um alaska and i was talking to um 
um, somebody who works in construction, and they said the climate has changed so much that they've actually expanded their work a month on each end of the calendar. So they used to never be like once you got too cold, you can't work in, you know, whatever that was, November. They fully work in November and they fully work in like May now. Right. (laughs) Whereas like that could never happen in their 100 plus year history as a company. (laughs) So Lidheads, if you've been ragging on climate change, just remember fewer mosquitoes and it's good for business. So uh, maybe that's right. It's really nice to hear because a big part of my book is how silver lining. Alaska's Alaska's like fishing industry has collapsed, so it's nice that people can migrate. Oh, for sure. Once the fish are all dead, they can be building beautiful homes, though beautiful homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, sure. welcome, yes. Litheads. So you don't know Lit, a weekly, as we call it, strongly podcast. Strongly where podcast. every week, muscle emoji podcast. Sorry, Joe and <laughs> Joe provides an echo. <laughs> where every week, Joe and Ian, <laughs> call and response. two high school English teachers, bring book recommendations. And we pick a theme. And of course, just to upset one of them and just to upset one of them, we pick a winner. Um, and gentlemen, we have some rules to keep us on track. Rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers today. Don't tell us how this ends. Uh, rule number two, omit needless words, Joe. And rule number three, only winning matters. Of course, we do have shadow rules as um, well. Yes. Keep your body temperature low. Right. Keep your skin covered. And... The most shadow rule of them all, stay in the shadows because right. that's, that's where it's very cool, shadowy. Right? <laughs> yeah, that more literal, that one. Um, yeah. We'll keep those in mind. Thank you, Ian. You're um, welcome. Joe, do you want to take 30 seconds and just tell me what your book is all about? Yeah, Vaclav Smeal, cool name, as a professor of the environment, and he spent a career researching energy, food production, populations, and economics. His whole career, people have been talking about this thing called climate change, but he couldn't shake the feeling that they were talking about it in a way that didn't make a lot of sense. Fighting climate change is hard, harder than people are pretending, and it's hard for a whole bunch of reasons that people fail to acknowledge in this book. A total downer. He sets out to inform people how energy, food, and materials production, the pillars of civilization, how they really work, and how they are not going anywhere anytime soon. Cool. (laughs) Ian, do you want to go now? (laughs) Phoenix, Arizona hit 110 degrees every day in July. In the Florida Keys, the ocean water was about hot tub temperature. 101 degrees on July 25th. In mid-July, China recorded its hottest temperature ever, 126 degrees. According to Jeff Goodell's new book, The Heat Will Kill You First, global warming is over. We're now at the global boiling stage. This book makes a provocative and compelling case that climate crisis isn't the future, it is the present. Who, um, just, okay, I have to pick who is going to go first here. Which one do you think has a, a more interesting book? A more interesting book? Yeah. Do you think your book think, is more interesting? I, I think Ian's might be, to be honest. Ian's might be more interesting. Mine is about mine is about like like the results of processes. Joe sounds like it's a, it's about processes. It's about processes. Processes. Yeah. Joe, do you? It sounds like your book might have some solutions, though. My book, did, no, my book is super short on solutions. No solutions. I do. If you're really trying Ugh. to decide who's going to go first, I do have a game called Big Little Big uh, Big Little Middle. Um, that oh, that might be a nice yeah. way to start us off. Ooh. 
One of the things that my writer this week points out over and over again is that people are super, super bad at estimating how much certain things impact climate change, right? Like, like I'm a good climate boy. You guys are good climate boys. Like we want to do the best for the earth. And I bet you make certain decisions in your life to like do the best. Like I recycle. you recycle, you might drink out of a reusable water bottle. You might like be conscientious. Even, I put even the garbage in the recycling. That's how dedicated <laughs> I am to, wow. to, to play my role. And then you, and then you burn it right in that, that uh, barrel outside in front of your, everything goes in. Just light on fire <laughs> to tires, mm-hmm. stakes, the rest. This game is called big, little, middle. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to give you something that you might do that you personally might do to curb climate change in the very small way oh, and i want you to guilty. tell me if it has a big impact on climate change nah. okay. little impact on climate change or okay. a middle impact on climate change it's like yeah all right. it's all right this isn't okay. gonna be a hopeful episode is it no this is gonna make me These feel really all bad gonna be little all right they're all gonna be little joe we're ready for your lesson are you going to buzz in? What's the deal here? No, you, you'll just each have a chance to, to say. Oh, okay. Cool, if you cool, want cool. to provide some okay. rationale, you can. Just throw right, something great. in your recycling whenever you're ready to answer. But, oh, so good. big little middle, speaking of recycling, let's start with recycling. Ah. You guys recycle. You have multiple bins. Your wives yell at you for keeping the caps on plastic bottles and things like that. They, they sure do. like mine. Um, big little middle. Does recycling have a big impact? a little impact or a middle impact on the climate. I got to go middle, but I'm pretty sure it's little. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's little. I think I've heard something about how they don't actually get recycled. They just all get dumped in the landfill anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this is little. Um, recycling uh, has a little uh, impact on climate change. We've been recycling plastic bottles for years. Most of them don't get recycled in any meaningful way. Um, if the, pla- the plastic recycling is kind of a jam up to begin with. Like we'd been much farther ahead using something like glass, but it, 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 th- there's a documentary about this. That, that basically says like the whole idea of recycling was pretty much like a propaganda tool from like big plastic uh-huh. to be like, yep. hey, guys, it's not that bad for the environment. You can recycle it and then it's fine. All right. Big little middle. Um, Ian, congratulations. You get a little point. Yes. Great oh. job, Ian. You win and the environment loses. How do you feel about yep. that? Uh, hey, at least somebody's winning here. At least somebody's on top. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Buying fewer things, buying fewer things, big, little, middle. I'm going to go big. If we all bought nothing, that would make a huge impact. (laughs) Make a big impact. (laughs) I'm going to say, oh, I want to say big, but I can't do the same one as Nick. So I'll say, I'll I'll say middle. Middle. That's a middle impact. This has a little impact. (gasps) A little impact. We tend to think of our of our purchasing decisions. We're like, well, this comes on a boat from China. And oh, my God, you have to do it all this way. It turns out that global shipping, like those great big um, haulers, are actually incredibly efficient per item moved, per item right. moved. So, mm. yes, Nick, if we all stopped buying everything, that would probably be ideal. Okay. But in the meantime, um, feel free to consume because it, it doesn't oh, really rock matter. Rock and roll, baby. <laughs> Great. I mean, I when, yeah, I don't know about you guys, but when I buy stuff on Amazon, each item is its own separate order. That way I can get 
as fast as I can. You, you do the thing where it says you you uncheck the box which, yeah. box which says group it for just yeah. send me one q-tip at a time please <laughs> i know it comes in a pack of 600 With its own bubble wrap separate yeah. them all right big little middle living car free you get rid of your car you no longer drive big little middle okay these are all little these are all little i say it has a middle impact it has a large impact. Oh. Um, it's one of the most effective things you can do is just stop driving entirely. Cars are um, your carbon footprint that you use burning the fossil fuel that p- propels your car is one of the biggest impacts that you personally have on the environment. Uh, one of the biggest negative <laughs> impacts that you personally <laughs> have on the environment. A little asterisk there. All right. All right. Okay. Great. Okay. All no right. more driving. Eating the vegetarian diet. Big, little, middle, a vegetarian diet. Big. I'm going to say little. I'm going to say little. Ooh, you both are wrong. It is middle. Wow. I think one of us has scored correctly this entire game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's medium. Um, A vegetarian diet. It helps a bunch. It helps more than buying fewer things or lowering the room temperature or carpooling or recycling, but it doesn't help nearly as much as a vegan diet does because most carbon emissions come from um, beef production, beef and dairy production. Just one more. Dairy. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Avoiding a long flight. Avoiding a long flight. Big, middle, little. I'm saying big, baby. I'm going to say little. I bet it's those shorter flights that really... <laughs> <laughs> those little puddle jumping flights. Yeah, those, this, this one is know, huge. Milwaukee to Chicago. Um, ah. No, this one is huge. Um, getting in an airplane it's is like absolutely terrible. I had a big terrible. impact on winning this game, Nick, in your little face. Congratulations, Ian. He's Thank our big winner great. today. Nick, you can be our little winner today if that makes you feel... Maybe that's what we should call losers instead. Somebody wins and somebody's a little winner. All right, so mm, I don't this like it. book... No. <laughs> these types of questions are at the heart of my book this week, Vakilev Smeal's uh, How the World Really Works. And he makes a couple of arguments in this book. He says, number one, People are really, really bad at estimating what actually matters when it comes to the environment, right? That's argument okay. number one. Okay. Number two, there has been positive movement towards climate change, right? Like he's like, there's undeniably p- positive movement towards climate change. We are looking at it as a global issue. We have conferences where people get together, where people set goals like, hey, we are going to um, curb climate change by 2030 and totally be net zero by 2050. He says those goals are preposterously unrealistic. Uh So unrealistic that um, they're almost malpractice. As in, okay, got it. So like, you know, the car manufacturers of the world saying we're going to be fully you know, whatever, net zero carbon emissions by 2030, all that kind of stuff. Well, and and not just the car manufacturers, but on larger institutional scales, like government level scales, things like the Paris Accord, like the Paris Climate Agreements, things like that. He's like, look, you can draw that line in the sand all that you want, but the line that you have drawn is farcical, right? right? Like, like we're not even close and we will not be close. But, you know, I'm gonna I mean, be. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be. Um, I'm gonna be a, a counter 
here for every claim, both, both positive and, and negative. Good, good that they finally drew a, a line in the sand, right? Yep. Well, and he totally agrees. I think when yeah. we lay out benchmarks, sometimes we expect to hit those benchmarks, and sometimes we have them and we try to hit them, knowing realistically that we will not. But the point is, you get as close as you can. Guys, can we all pause for a moment and just give ourselves a nice pat on the back? We're doing our best. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Nick recycles everything. Joe, tell us about the book. This book is very, very short on solutions, right? The entire promise of this book is I want to lay out for you, dear reader, how the world really works. And I'm going to focus, he focuses on four areas, um, energy, food, materials, production, and climate. I, I The climate is, is basically him being like, therefore... We're not going to make climate things, et cetera. Can you run through those four again slowly? Yep, of course. Energy, how we produce energy. Food, how we produce food. And then materials production. And when he talks about material production, he's mostly talking about concrete, steel, and then plastics, along with other things. But Got it. And he says those three things, energy production, food production, materials production, are The pillars of civilization, they make the world function as we know it. They are incredibly bad for the environment, all three Uh of those things. And there is no easy way to stop them from being bad for the environment. Right. Uh Uh-huh. Joe, what's the point of the book? I mean, we've heard this all before, right? Is he trying to bum us out? Is it just because he's succeeding? Also, what is this information (laughs) based on? When when was this book published? And what is this information based on? What gives him the right? What gives him the right? Well, he's a a professor of the environment. Um, He's actually an incredibly prolific author. He's written a whole bunch of books. Um, Bill Gates, you you know, the the billionaire uh, who's definitely part of the solution. He it's one of his favorite writers. Um, He reads everything this guy writes. And this is based on his lifetime of research. Like he's lived in this world his entire academic career as for when it was written 2022 this book was published so this is this is a a very current look on a problem that you know like you said has been in the national consciousness consciousness for 30 years and has existed long before that What? Okay. You know, you're you're pretty up on it. You're a high school English teacher. You're a man of the world. Uh, What did you learn in this book that was so unique or different that? Yeah. What's new? The best thing about this book wasn't the argument that he made, although I do think that was really useful, right? Like I think when we think of climate change, we think like, oh, well, I'll carpool and I'll do my part (laughs) or I'll eat a vegetarian diet and I'll do my part or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. It's so illuminating. It's illuminating in this book being like, Hey, you can eat a vegetarian diet all you want, but as soon as you get on that flight to Europe that you take every summer, uh, (laughs) that just went out the window, pal. Mm, Best stuff about this, though, is the little facts that he drops in, the things that he does to put things in perspective. And he really has a knack for this. He really has a knack for taking this data and making it accessible. For example. Share some, Joe. I learned that China, in just two years, 
consumed as much cement as the entire United States used in the whole of the 20th century. Uh Oh, wow. What are they making over there? (laughs) A lot of roads, a lot of roads, a lot of buildings. Well, that's good. They're going to drive instead of flying because flying is bad. Flying is bad. um, You know, what's always interesting. Like you always hear about, okay, these new solutions and like whatever. It's good. People are trying. Right. But you always when you poke a little bit further, it seems like the impact on the environment just changes in the pipeline so for example like it's like okay electric cars great um well to you know once once the consumer gets the electric car great they're not impacting the environment negatively anymore but when you Mm. learn about more about electric cars it's like well to get the ore that's needed to make the battery in the electric car like you need to uh, it's a genocide first off and then like slave mining and then like also it's terrible on the environment as well it it just kind of like shifts down the pipeline yeah or, or, or not only that like hey when you plug that electric car into the wall in your garage yeah where does your yeah. local power come from is it a coal burning power plant because if it is you drive you went from driving a 1500 pound car to a 6000 pound car right right and you need a lot of energy to move that thing um i i a point of connection between our books um you mentioned china and what my book mm-hmm. somewhere i can't quite find it has a statistic about how china has dramatically increased its green energy uh production which is cool but how is that green energy produced? Well, in some way, in some places, hydroelectric. You know what you build dams with? They burn, <laughs> they burn the old cars. It, wait, wait, but just like a little concrete to make a dam, right? Like a couple right, of wheelbarrows. Right, yeah. I'm sure. So, yeah, this is this is what, what Nick is saying. Like, the, the law of conservation of mass and energy. Like, you got, like, as, as uh, society expands, as population expands, they will be using, people will use energy, and it will cost somewhere. I should stop saying things. What was your point, Joe? No, well, I was just talking about some of the most interesting things mm-hmm. about, like, China, two years, United States, 100 years, etc. Um, if you eat a skewer of shrimp at a barbecue, oh, like, say, no. you go to Delicious Barbecue and you eat a shrimp, skewer Joe. of wild shrimp... That barbecue that that barbecue shrimp has been marinated in about four cups of diesel fuel. Uh, that's about what it would take to catch the shrimp on that skewer is four cups of diesel fuel. Not sure of the analogy. Are you saying that the shrimp is swimming in diesel fuel? Well, you, you know, to catch that shrimp, no, 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 you, it's a recipe going shrimp. You marinate in diesel fuel four cups. I, I've been using canola oil like an idiot. <laughs> No, it's diesel. You got to use diesel. It gives this nice mechanical flavor to it. Oh, very good. A ton of time in this book is really spent illustrating how like you individually are part of the problem, right? Like a lot of this time is being like, and I know concrete and steel and things like that. They seem like far away from you. They said, but look around your kitchen. This thing is made out of steel. The thing you're standing on is made out of this. The food that you're eating is filled with these fertilizers that, by the way, are like terrible for the environment. Um, There's plastic in absolutely everything that you use. Like this stuff is the lifeblood. This stuff is the energy of your life. 
there's always the, the one of the big like argument or themes out there is like, hey, look, I'm just one person, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's like there's exactly. like four companies uh, that cause like 98 percent of the pollution in the world. Right. If I use a paper straw, what, what change is that going to make? Does it yeah. talk about that balance between like the individual and the large corporations of the world or whatever? This book, one of the weird things about this book, one of the frustrating things about this book is he really does not set out to offer any solutions whatsoever. The purpose of Love this it. book is for you to understand what the what the actual problems are. That's like the entire purpose of this book. Now, when he talks about things that are done, because naturally like you talk about like, oh, well, people have transitioned to electric vehicles. Like that stuff comes up in this book, right? When he talks about things that are done, he talks about them almost entirely in ways of like um, big trends, I guess. Okay. And then he talks about like how in order for these things to be actually effective, the levers can't be pulled on the individual level. They have to be pulled on the institutional level. So for example, he gives a very brief uh, moment where he's like, where he talks about cars. Yeah. Thank God. He's like, (laughs) you're good. Let heads. (laughs) We are once again, trending towards like everybody driving SUVs, right? Like cars get bigger and bigger Ford. Um, you know, that, that popular car company Ford, they no longer make a car in their lineup, right? Their smallest vehicle that they make is also an SUV. Oh yeah. I read about that. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, If we actually cared about this, right, like there would be levers pulled on the governmental level, right, Like that that basically said, oh, if you drive a small coupe, if you drive an electric, like you are going to get tremendous tax incentives. And by the way, if you go out and you buy an SUV, we're going to we're going to slap you on the wrist for it. Like, can you buy an SUV? Yes, but we are going to charge you a fine for it. We are going to charge you a, a, a tax levy for we it. We are actually going to come to your house and slap you on the wrist. We are, ac- we are actually going to slap you on the wrist. Um, um, in interviews around this book, he talks about how this is so impossible because of like hyper politic. You got it. Yeah, yeah. No, you, <laughs> yeah. Just politics. that word. Just <laughs> stumble down the mountain for us. <laughs> oh, but yeah, he talks about like the problems that beyond this, but um, but yeah, he talks about like the levers really need to be systemic. Okay, levers. so it's not our fault. Great, Ian. Yep. Is it? Hey, does your book? Does that talk about? Is it our fault? Or are we good? My book really isn't so much about sort of i mean my, my it's not about how we got here so much as where we are um oh. like my my book is wisconsin. not wisconsin so this is this is a yeah well and nevada for some of us mm-hmm. my my book is not like this causes heat this i mean it kind of gets into that but it, it's not really focused on the theory and it's not really focused on kind of forecasting models for the future this is an interesting book because <laughs> there won't be one. <laughs> well, but I mean, no, the worst though. I think one of the worst things about this book is when he's like, uh, in the, in, in the future, you know, 10,000 years from now, when, you know, all life forms that are vertebrate have been killed. Yeah. Like he talks about a future, which is, which is an, an apocalyptic future. This book is focused on a really simple idea. Catastrophe is here. Not catastrophe is on the way. Uh, a lot of discussion of climate change has been in the future tense and continues to be like, oh, by 2030, by 2050, New York City will be underwater at this point. Now, his focus is on the present. Here are the statistics. Here are the temperatures. Here are the families and communities that have been torn apart by heat. 
Here are the bugs, a lot of nasty bugs that thrive oh, in heat. Yeah. Here are the tree leaves curling up. Okay, the infrastructure is That's enough. That's enough. It is not yeah. your time. The Joseph, hundreds, that I'm is sorry, it. I thought oh, it was my time. Wait, no, I think it is Ian's time. Is I thought it? that was a really nice transition. I have nothing else Did to say about Did we just perfectly book. transition to Ian's? <laughs> I was impressed. It was, it was, I was impressed. It was a perfect transition. I mean, I think we should take a moment to like pause and ruin that transition by celebrating it. Absolutely. Sure. Maybe you play one and of those little songs that we do in the, in the, in the episodes. <laughs> Ian, I like the part where you're talking about bugs because I've been over here gloating the um, banishment of the mosquito in Wisconsin, but I suddenly got really worried that we might trade the mosquito for cockroaches, and I don't want cockroaches in Wisconsin. Or you might trade, or you might trade the mosquitoes Mm -hmm. that you have. For mosquitoes that are worse, so there are kind of Africanized. There are kinds of mosquitoes. There, there are species of mosquito. Like mosquitoes are bad and the worst, and, and we hate them. But there are kinds of mosquitoes that don't carry dreadful, horrible diseases that make you bleed out in a matter of days. And then there are mosquitoes that do carry those diseases. The ones that carry the nasty diseases, not all of them, but many of them, like the hotter climates oh so and i'm so gonna have to put like as, malaria nets around yeah, my bed baby as and then like this is not like oh this is going to happen this is hey guess where we've tracked these mosquitoes showing oh, up God. farther and farther north <laughs> so <laughs> no the big the big part of this book is the idea of the goldilocks zone the story of goldilocks and the three bears it's the oh, area it's kind of like joe's game big little middle it's a theme <laughs> yeah exactly and then and, and the middle is Good where you like uh, again, nice, nice work. Good. Let's let's go and take a moment to you celebrate guys, that. I am <laughs> going to get the other side now. Uh, uh, the Goldilocks zone is the place where it's just right for an organism. So um, the climactic conditions that that make an organism thrive, feel good, not be strained. Um, they have enough food. They can integrate well into their ecosystem. And he says, you know, as warming happens, as as boiling happens, we follow our Goldilocks zones, or if we're humans and we're stupid, we we move we move to the hotter parts of the country and try and make those hotter parts into our Goldilocks oh, zone. Right. But animals animals are not stupid like us. Animals just go where the cool is. So he says, he has this long section where he's talking about the kinds of organisms that are moving north, more moving to higher latitudes, so moving south mm. if you're in the global south. And this kind of tree is moving north at 30 miles a decade. This kind of tree, the, the range of this kind of animal is expanding north at, um, at at the rate of six miles a year. That kind of thing. Current example of this is go to Yellowstone and look at all the dead trees <laughs> because um, of the beetle that. Moved yes, yes. The, beetle, the beetle is a great example. And the worst yeah. thing, like one of the worst things about this bug deal is the nasty bugs like your emerald ash borers or your pine bark beetles, or there's a certain kind of tick that is now kind of making its way towards the U.S. It's definitely swept over various parts of the Mediterranean. This very this this nasty kind of a tick that carries a really nasty kind of a disease. Not only do they do they do better as they have more space, but they also the heat. heat the word he uses is revs them up. He says oh, certain no. kinds of animals, oh, certain God. kinds of nasty. <laughs> they're traveling and they're horny. The bad bugs are like <laughs> turbocharged by more heat. Yeah. Got so it. more heat 
Ian, it's Ian, bad. we we've yeah. jumped into the deep end of your book. What we is? Uh, can you start from the beginning a little bit from more from the beginning? So what what's the kind of uh, agenda of your book and who's the author? Um, so the author is a guy named Jeff Goodell. Uh, he's written at least one other book. A lot of a lot of um, I, I didn't research him too much, but his his he's a science journalist, environmentalism journalist, um, an environmental journalist, and. Um, this is nonfiction. This is all true. It's not fake fiction mm-hmm. or a lie. Um, his first, the, 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 for the previous book is called the water will come and it's about, Oh, how, this is a sequel. <laughs> yeah. First you got water, then you got fire. Um, uh, Earth. yeah, <laughs> good. Um, so, so his deal is kind of deep dives into specific ways that, uh, things are going bad as a result of, climate change. So this is focused on the myriad ways that heat will kill you. Um, And so he starts off kind of very straightforwardly with some obvious stuff. People are dying from heat. He has like his whole one of his whole first, like whole first chapter is this really nice young family that moves to the, the hills of the Sierra Nevada, the foothills and they go for a hike and they have a young kid along. They don't bring enough water and, it's super hot and he narrates their death and the text messages messages that they try and send the baby's getting overheated come help us Ugh. it's like it's like there's it's like and this is this Ian, is like the I don't want to talk about chapter. this I know I know right you don't want we don't want to talk about it. it's happening now later in the book he like introduces us to this really nice um farmer who's in the Pacific Northwest <clears throat> he works at a tree nursery um, he has family back in um, back in Colombia, I believe, and he's sending them money. He's undocumented and he dies of heat stroke and his whole family has to deal with the fallout. from like He's the breadwinner and heat stroke killed him. So this is the obvious piece. The, the kind of the most obvious piece of this this book, the story he's telling is heat kills you via heat stroke. OK, so um, Joe's book didn't put forward any solutions ian is is yep. your book just fear-mongering no no and 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 we'll, <laughs> we'll, pause, get, no. we'll get to that no it's not like it's hard to say because this is this is the, the new york times had a really good review of it and the new york times basically said this is this is bleak it is this book made me feel horrible reading this book was miserable bleak week bleak week <laughs> but it's not like it's not it's not fear-mongering and it's not all negative for reasons I'll get to. So there's obvious stuff in this book. Then there's stuff that kind of should be obvious. So he talks a big part of this book is charting the animals and the plants that are following their Goldilocks zones into higher latitudes where it's cooler and the ripple effects of that ecologically. So he's not, he's like, yeah, it's not just that we're dying from heat, that cities that aren't designed to have, um, to be cool are, are baking. Uh, but also when these animals move north, when these plants move north, these are the negative effects it has. And then there's this stuff, the stuff that is neither obvious nor should be obvious. It's completely new to you. This is, for instance, the story of the blob. Um, the movie? It's not the superhero. Okay. No, Dang. not the movie. No, sorry. There is, in 2013, this kind <sighs> of bubble of pretty way too warm water just formed up near Alaska. And over the last decade, this blob, scientists don't know why, where it came from. Scientists have been tracking it, and over the last 10 years, it has been very slowly drifting south. 
And as it does, it just destroys coastal ecosystems. It's destroying marine life. Maybe you guys heard about all the starfish that were dying. It's related to the blob. Maybe you heard about a few wildfires in the last five years. Is it called the blob? They call it the blob. Yeah. It's really menacing. That's pretty. Uh, that's a, a technical term. Wow. And as it moves south, it's having these kind of tremendous effects. He, the book was published in 2023. He talks about this past winter in the Sierra Nevada where we had record snowfall. Like snowfall, more snowfall this year in the Sierra Nevada than we've had in recorded snowfall history, um, which only goes back 150 years. But still, like it's it's incredible the effect that this is having and we don't know where this is headed next like what effects will show up later on down the line so the the book is a collection of things that you expect heat heat uh, stroke um people dying that way it's stuff that you sh- you kind of realize yeah that makes sense with the animals leaving their goldilocks zones and there's stuff that you had no idea was happening and makes you horrified and grossed out like the blob <laughs> Like the blob. Example. I mean, he talks about warm water. We warm water seems nice, right? And then he starts telling you what what that does to the animals living in it. Um, how how the effect that 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 warm water has on coral. It's bad. Like coral reefs, <laughs> yeah. when when the water fluctuates like a temperature, uh, 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 when the water temperature fluctuates like a degree, it, little animals living inside the coral turn toxic to the coral. The coral spit them out, and then the coral die. Now, Ian. Yeah. Uh, Water boils at 212 degrees, and it's currently only around 100. Don't we have yeah, a we while a to go? We have 100 and... Uh, well, the water was 101 degrees, we so we, we technically have plenty of time. 111 degrees still mm-hmm. before it gets really bad. Like right. Well, this is, this is like, he talks about, he talks about, he says, he says, um, the, the New York Times review sums this up as heat has a branding problem. We need to be like, we need to loathe it and hate it and fear it more. People talk about a three degree swing is like, that's not that bad. Like, that's the difference between 79 and 82. That's not that bad. Mm -hmm. But he says, like, if an animal can live well at 79 and starts to get stressed at 81 and is dying by 82 as a baseline, then we're in trouble. It's hard to imagine a future that's broiling like down the road. It's harder to accept that right now it's it's happening. Especially like you guys live in a fairly temperate, cool area. Reno is, despite being the high desert, it's not that hot. Like it's going to be a high of 90 today and that's not that bad. Um, but it, it it is terrifying. And a lot of the, the proposed solutions like crank up the AC, he's like, that actually has the negative. That has the opposite effect. Yeah. Because as you rely more on AC, you end up um, making what? the climate warmer. Oh, yeah. it, dang it. Right. And he Darn. says like, hey, a difference in three degrees for the AC. Uh, if you're trying to keep your, your house at 78 and it's 101 out. And then it jumps to 104. There's going to be a 30% power increase to keep your house at 78. Just oh, because man. the temperature went up from 101 outside to 104. Hey, Jody, do you keep your house at 78? It's bad. Uh, yeah. What temperature yeah. do you guys keep your houses at? Uh, 65. <laughs> Yeah, that's <laughs> you Nick, monsters. What? Ian, I've been to Nick's house. Uh, I think that's actually, true. I think uh, his air conditioner lit turns off. Lidheads, lidheads, we got them. Uh, the truth is that Nick is the Nick is the problem. <laughs> I like to wear winter yeah. coats all year long. I, I do keep son, my house at about son, seventy-eight degrees in the summer. Yes, and, about, and about sixty-eight degrees in the winter. My son brought me his winter coat this morning and said, 
it's cold outside. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> you're wrong. Uh, I said this is mostly terrifying with slivers of hope. The slivers of hope are the solutions. So his goal here is not to make you feel happy about how we're going to solve this. And he's very, very upfront about how it's going to be hard. And even if we stopped everything right now, we, we would not, we would, we, we, we wouldn't, things wouldn't start cooling down. It's like when you turn off the, the burner on the stove, unless you have a gas stove, you turn off the burner it stays hot for a minute. Mm-hmm. It doesn't immediately like mm-hmm. when you turn. When it doesn't cool down right away. Does he discuss yeah. discuss ice cubes at all? The, any sort of ice cube solution? In the so ocean? he talks about he talks about firing the rapper and actor Ice Cube into the sun. Okay, as mm-hmm. an attempt to kind of like appease right. the angry sun god. Well, and, and it yeah. comes to the conclusion that would not would not have enough of an effect. Well, yeah, it didn't work with iced tea, so that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Um, he has so like there are two kinds of solutions he talks about here. There are kind of tacit and impractical solutions like, hey, imagine if we turned off all carbon emissions right now. Or, hey, what if we had never cut down all these trees? Or what if our cities were built better to allow for living without a car? These are things he's like, this sure would be nice, but we can't like we can't. He's also got the more wacky kind of concrete solutions like what if we sprinkled sprinkled tiny mirrors in the atmosphere or what if we ate crickets or what if we painted our streets white um, to reflect the heat back that that one seems pretty good that one seems good white streets white roofs he's working like he talks about like in los angeles they're they're doing this in this country they're doing this um in paris where they have these have either of you ever been to paris i have not no i heard it's not that great i was there for a night on a layover Paris is not built for extreme heat. Paris is built for a temperate climate. And now mm-hmm. they have extreme heat. Their, their roofs are made of metal. Their roofs are made of zinc. And wow. it, is that going to be a problem, Ian? What's the issue? Uh, guess what? It's already been a problem. In the big heat wave of 2003, a thousand people died from basically being baked alive under their zinc roofs because the the nobody had really thought it through yeah i i could see the french really being stubborn about saint roofs you know being like let's hear your best french accent this is this is the joe mocks french people corner it happens everywhere you know how they are you're like he's leaning into this is great okay so joe is happy that the french are burning alive Joe, my, my favorite, my favorite solution he proposes, and this is one that I think is is kind of bonkers, but kind of cool, um, is I, I mentioned the way the New York Times would describe it. Heat has this branding problem. Heat is like desirable. You're right. Yeah, heat's cool. Of the Paradise is warm. You know, yeah. when we want to say someone is attractive. We say they're hot. Caliente. Um, Love this. This is when, true. When somebody is is um, hitting the baseball, second baseball. Oh, they're, on Ooh, fire. they're on fire. They're, yeah, they're, they're, he's, been, he's been hot at the plate recently. Oh, this is something we got to get the tweens on. Get them on that. Start coming out of well, the book. new, like, oh, man, don't be hot. Yeah. Don't be hot. Be Wait, just let that one know. sit for a little well, bit. Yeah, I mean, um, things are cool. They, they started he, it a while ago. Things are cool, but then uh, pri- thing, progress got stymied. Okay, yeah, keep progress. us in the loop there, Joe. He, he talks about how when people started, when, when, when government agencies started naming hurricanes, that helped people conceptualize hurricanes. And so he talks about this uh, foundation, which is run by a PR exec, whose sol- one of their solutions is, what if we start naming heat waves? 
Love let's this. let's rank the heat waves. So like oh. at a certain like level of heat wave, um, we issue these warnings at this level. We issue these warnings. Let's centralize it. So there's a, a, a an applicable set of of characteristics across the board, and let's name them. So they practiced. Like, they tried this heat wave iced tea. Heat wave. I think Cardi B. I think, but that one might be yes. Well, I, I mean, like, and so, so the, the the foundation. He talks about the how they they kind of focus grouped different kinds of names. Like, should we name them after Greek gods? And the focus group was like, no, that makes it seem too like cool. otherworldly. Awesome, yeah, really yeah, awesome. Yeah, right. Greek so people they, are awesome. they they when they piloted this, they they um, used just normal people's names, <laughs> and they heat wave heat wave Joe Nick heat wave Joe. <laughs> oh, it sounds terrible. Ian. So like hurricanes, just terrible normal you names. Like hurricanes, and mm-hmm. guess what? Yeah. It seems to have had a positive effect because people aren't thinking about the heat wave as some a minor inconvenience that might potentially uh, make me feel unpleasant. People are thinking of it as a an this incoming, kill me. predictable, <laughs> climactic event. The same way yeah. you prepare for a hurricane. The same mm-hmm. way you prepare for storm systems, cyclones, these kinds of things. So this, this is, is a weird, like a weird solution, yeah. but great idea, Ian. It's great Let's idea. Really good stuff. Hey, Ian, pat on the back. Two hands. No, this isn't me. Good no, job, Ian. Here. What a great no, idea, I, I, Ian. Had. You should own it. Gentlemen, welcome to Tiffany's, a safe place for you to tell me all the terrible things about your books without it being held against you. I don't know what would be bad about your books since they're all bad. Probably not enough solutions, right? That'd be Joe's. Yeah, if if I had a Tiffany's for my book, it would be that. If he could solve this, that'd be great. Well, it's really frustrating because my writer never enters into the argument of what do we do about it? And when you read this book, when you look at all the problems, like all the ways that you personally are using these materials, plastic seals, whatever, uh, concrete, you can't help but think like, I'm feeling overwhelmed and bad. Like that's how I'm feeling right now. Right. And I kind of want to know like, oh, so is this what do I do? And what do I do? uh, Yes. What do I do? And my author has not only does he not have any answers, but he's had, has a wonderful interview with the New York Times. I started reading around this in which they try to pin him down on what should we nice. do? And he is like almost combative with the interviewer. Right. <laughs> so it's it's a frustrating book in that regard. Huh. Yeah, just the book is the frustrating part. <laughs> the book is the book is not the real life yes. actual things happening. Uh, Ian. Were you frustrated by the book as well? <laughs> my book ends. My book ends with the image of starving polar bears. Uh huh. This is this book is a big downer. I think. I think. Uh, I didn't. I didn't enjoy this book. Um. <clears throat> I. I and I didn't expect to. Yeah. Um. And I, I think you should. I think you should. Everyone should read this. And I don't think anyone should expect to read it. That being said, like it is a huge downer. So it's the kind of thing that. I would invite uh, the lit heads to undergo this misery with us, but it is Got misery. It. It's miserable. I read this. I read this before. I, I, I told you guys the other day, I read this before I went to bed, like oh, in the evenings. Mm-hmm. And 
I didn't have nightmares. I just woke up feeling kind of sad. Ian, when did your book come out? 2023. Oh, more recent than Joe's. Joe, you lose. Oh, I also think it's interesting to to how Ian, your book talks about like the the impact in terms of like what we'll see a little Mm -hmm. bit in terms of like the bugs and the trees and the the shift there. Because yep. I think the change is, is, yeah, is great. Um, great. Ian. All right, Lithead. Well, there's still a bit of time to like, subscribe, <laughs> rate, review, uh, etc. If, like if you want to hear us talk about your book, we could use some uppers. Uh, maybe suggest something hopeful. Holy uh, shit. Some happy books, that, Slitheads. Please submit some, happy, some books. happy books. Have you read anything happy? It's the, yeah, we have head on over to you don't know that podcast.com submit a book suggest a theme a happy book would be wonderful after that head to the podcast player of your choice like rate review subscribe whatever you know whatever kind of interactions they whatever. give you over there at what just it doesn't whatever. even matter follow us on instagram <laughs> follow us die. on tiktok for more of this amazing content and more than anything tell a bookish friend congratulations ian congratulations climate change um congratulations goldilocks zones and killer mosquitoes i'm gonna read a, a hopeful quote from near the end of the book he says when people ask me if it's hard to write about the climate crisis And imagine the hardship and suffering to come. My answer is always the same. This is the greatest story of our time. One that I feel privileged to tell. And yes, it gets dark sometimes. But it's also endlessly inspiring because I meet so many people who are fighting for the future and reimagining everything about how we live on this planet. I introduced you to some of them in the previous pages. With their help and with the help of other people like them, I believe we can build a better world if we want to. But I know that is a simple thing to say and a hard thing to do. And the better means different things to different people. There are no maps for this journey we are taking. No virtual reality tours of the road ahead. Quote, how do we face the truth of what is at stake and how much there is to do? Asks marine scientist and climate activist Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson. How do we muster up the courage to not give up in spite of the odds? How do we focus on solutions and on what each of us can do to help turn things around? Close quote. I can't answer those questions, but I do know that after three years working on this book, I think differently about other living things who share the burden of heat with us. When I see a bat dart across the evening sky, I consider how lucky it is to be an animal that hunts at night when it's cooler. When I see an armadillo waddling across our driveway on a summer night, I wonder if it's wishing it could shed its heavy scales. When I see a pecan tree with browning leaves, I wonder if it's stressed by the heat what it's saying about these hard times to other trees nearby. And I think about the polar bear that didn't eat us on Baffin Island, and how her cubs are dealing with the disappearing ice. Have they learned new hunting skills? Are they becoming climate-smart bears? For me, the big surprise in writing this book has been discovering not only how easily and quickly heat can kill you, but what a powerful reminder it is of how deeply connected we all are to one another and to all living things. Wherever we may be headed, we are all on this journey together.